We extend Christian greetings to each one of you. It's a blessing to be here again tonight. And yes, children, we have uh, a little bit something for you tonight. So if you don't mind, you can come on up front and we'll do our best to convey a message to you this evening. So come on up front, children. toothpicks. 
Okay? These are serious animals. Okay? And I... Okay, are you listening? You guys seem to be very attentive. Okay? Very good. I want your full attention. So, what I want you to do is I want to start... I want you all to start oaring across that two miles, 90 degrees, very hot. And so, I'm just going to give you a little push and then you guys can start oaring, right? You ready? You look a little cold. I mean, afraid. Ready? Okay, get ready? Go. Alright. You're not going anywhere. You're not oaring. you got to oar. Move your hands. There you go. Alright. How's it going? It's kind of hot, isn't it? It's very hot. Are you sweating? Alright, so you're cruising along there, and then uh, somewhere over about there, you see the real good stuff. Ooh. You're kind of hot, you're getting a little hungry, right? It's, you've only gone for about an hour. Uh, you see those? Do you like Skittles? You really like Skittles, okay. How about, how about one of you jump out of the boat? and go over there and get those and bring them back to the canoe. What? What about you? Would you? Hmm. Mighty tempting, isn't it? Yeah? But she says no. Why not? Because there's alligators. There's alligators in the water. So what does that mean? Why wouldn't you go over there and, uh, and get them? For two things, and what would they do with you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very nice. You know, you know, ours are a little sticky, but you know, it's a little bit like butter. You know, they would love you. Oh, yeah. But so very wise. You're not even very old yet. You're very wise. What about you? Would you? Would you go over there? No. Why not? There's alligators. That's right. Okay. My question to you is: Did you guys see any alligators? Did you? No. How do you know there's alligators in the water? I said so. So you were listening. And you received the counsel. Good for you. You didn't have, you didn't see any alligators. And you actually believed it. That is being attentive. And you listen to counsel. And that will make you wise. That is very, very good. And so that is what, there are so many times, friends, that when we get told things, we don't necessarily believe it because, ah, I didn't see any alligators. Right? And so, we don't really care, we didn't see any alligators, and you would have jumped in there, and <laughs> breakfast, dinner, lunch, all at once, gone. <laughs> would have been a sad occasion, right? All because of Skittles. But you, what is it, what, what's the first thing? What was the first thing that we were supposed to do? What? Listen. listen. They both listened very carefully. And then what did they do? They accepted what I said to be true. And so therefore, you stayed in the boat. You did not leap, yield to temptation and go after those things that won't give you much nutrition. Anyhow, Skittles are really not any good for you. Did you know that? <laughs> huh? Did you know that? Yeah, I knew you knew that. Yeah. Anyhow, so the, the story here is, friends, not always do we have to prove it by seeing it. You listen, you accept what is being said. There's parents that are telling you, so you listen and you accept. There's the church that is speaking, they're, they're saying, listen, and then you accept. Don't make the mistake of jumping out of the boat and going for those Skittles because there's alligators. And the alligator is much the way Satan works. He lurks just on your Every once in a while you see his little eyes peeking out. And then he's just watching. And he's waiting. And his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan's mission is. And he does that with people that don't listen and they don't accept. And they go after things that are not healthy for them at all. And they go and don't listen, don't accept. And they go after those things. 
and they die spiritually. It's a very sad story. Very sad story. Okay, you can go back. You may actually stay sitting in your chair. I really didn't think you looked comfortable there, but you may go back if you would like. You know what? You don't have to sit. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. How's that? That would be better. I would agree. All right, and then I want to tell you a story of a young boy. I'm going to say he was about your size, your age. And his mom and dad, uh, they told him, well, let me tell you the, the background of it. There was, a, there was a school at the end of the driveway of the farm. And uh, years ago, they didn't have any riding lawnmowers. They had push mowers. So all the youth got together to, with a number of push mowers and they mowed the lawn for the school. Very good. And this little boy wanted to so desperately to go out and be with these youth boys. And uh, mom and dad said, no, you stay at home and you have chores to do in the barn. So youth boys, they left. This boy, he was doing chores in the barn. And then one of the chores was almost done, not quite. He snuck out the back door and he went out in the driveway. And then these group of boys were all standing there, waiting for their turn to mow the lawn. And this little character, he was a show-off. He was boisterous, he was loud, and he was running around this group of youth boys and acting like an idiot. I'm sorry, something like that. <laughs> he was acting terrible. And this boy was running around and running around this group being a real show-off. His brother comes along with the lawnmower and didn't see him coming around the corner and right over top of his foot with the lawnmower. One little toe, gone. The second one had a few scars on it from the blade. It was just starting to go on the second one. And this little boy on his back, and he was crying and wailing. And uh, they took him to the, to the doctor and stitched him up. What did that boy not do that he should have? He didn't. And he didn't. Except, and he's missing a toe. And I tell you what, you know who that boy was? This man right here. Yeah, I stand before you incomplete. Yeah, I right, my little toe. You want to see it? It actually looks kind of cute. You know, you don't want to see it, do you? No, all right. Take my word, but you believe it? Okay, so you're going to see good. good. All right, but that is true. And uh, I want to tell you, boys and girls, do your part. Listen and accept. And you will become wise. And if you don't listen and you don't accept, you will become foolish. It's your choice. So be wise, listen, and accept. Let's pause for a time of prayer, shall we? Let's bow our hands. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Dear God, I pray a blessing on each one of these here children. I pray that you would minister to their hearts, direct them, dear Lord, in the decisions that they make, and give them <coughs> courage to be strong and obedient. Listen to your counsel and listen to your word and accept it. Help the parents, Lord, to give good counsel, to give good direction, and help them, O oh Lord, to lead them and direct them and teach them. We commit them to you and we thank you, Lord, that we can. Because we look forward to the great to that day when these will become the church and will be serving you faithfully. So we commit them to you in confidence and in praise through Christ. Amen. So you can go back to your hands. Oh, by the way, just wait for one more minute. After church, you may come and see me, and then I will share those not-so-good things with you. All right?
All right, this evening, for the next uh, 35, maybe 40 minutes, we want to consider uh, a subject that is a very broad subject, but very essential. In the scripture, and I know many of all, most if not all of you know it uh, by heart, and it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The first request in that scripture is, forgive us our dead. That is in uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And so we want to address the subject on uh, forgiveness. What uh, what does that do? How does that look? And how do we respond to it? What is our responsibility in forgiveness? Forgive us our debts. What motivates God to take an action of that magnitude on our behalf? When we bid to God that he would forgive us. And I want to say, friends, that all of us here tonight, we have to, at one time or another, and many times, more times, to ask that bidding to God. But initially, friends, we have to come to a place that we have to ask God to forgive us our debts. How many of us occurred uh, debt in our lifetime? How many of us brought on debt? We all did, didn't we? We all generated debt that we could not pay. And my friends, by nature, we are all born with a sinful nature. You know that. That's not new. And I understand that. And that nature is called can I say, unrighteousness. And God is 100% righteous. So we will make a, uh, and, uh, we'll try to make a straight line across here, the top, as straight as we can. And that is called righteousness. And that is 100% percent righteous. Down here, just so you all can see, is a straight line, straight as I can make it, and that is zero percent righteousness. It is called unrighteousness. And God is 100% righteous. You and I, whether you admit it or not, we are, there isn't a righteous bone within us. Not one, Dwight, not one. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? It really is. And we have to come to a place that we, uh, that we understand, friends, that we are 100% undone. There isn't a good bone within you. Isaiah makes it very clear that we are what? Almost wicked? Or how does it say it? Almost wicked or a little bit wicked or what does Isaiah say? Desperately wicked. That means zero, not a nix. No righteous bone within us. And then we need to come to our Father and we must confess that we need a Savior. We need something to bridge this gap. And the reason I marked this here is from, a, from the, uh, this, uh, down below here is called time. 
So from here is from the time of birth to, and I think the average age, I believe, is approximately 75 years old. Approximately. So we need to come to a place that we understand at ground zero. And we need to acknowledge that I am a sinner doomed and destined to hell. We confess and we say, Father, forgive us. And we repent of our sins and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior into our lives. We need to come to the cross. Wherever that is for different people, we must come to the cross. We start our journey along life. We come to the age of accountability. And we come to the stage of the cross. Where we must make our calling and election sure. And I want to say, friends, when we acknowledge our sinful state, we become 100% righteous. Get a hold of that. That is phenomenal. In the eyes of God, you are now righteous. How? Through Jesus Christ. Not by your works, not by who you are, but in Christ Jesus, you now have become 100% righteous. That to me is absolutely amazing. It is unfathomable. And most of us here tonight, I will believe that we struggle with that concept at times because we know of our imperfections and we struggle with the truth of God's word where it says that we are righteous through Christ Jesus. 100%. We're saved. We are redeemed. We are bought. But our journey... Even though that we are 100% righteous, we know that we are naturally still imperfect. So our journey of life begins, our spiritual life begins here. And mine, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it starts going up and then sometimes we, can, we you know, falter and fall and then we go up. And uh, my journey, I'm not 75 by the way, but you know, it, it can be something like this at times that's how a journey can look all depends to what magnitude of sin that people get involved in it can dip you down to here very sad very sad but never give up yesterday when I was here with the school children there was two that ran a race one slipped and fell she never hesitated. She got up. She finished her course. She didn't win in, in that sense, but she won because she made the finishing line. So likewise, you and I, there's times after we become Christians that we stumble and we fall. And it's in these here places that we need to acknowledge that we have sinned and come short and that we need to confess again. And we need to confess again. But I want to say, friends, all from the time of our conversion, we are righteous in Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. So we are in Christ. We are justified and we are righteous. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
We have to understand, friends, we are, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore we can say, by whom also we have access by faith onto His grace. And so when I look at this here area between God's ultimate and highest, He is 100% perfect, we are yet faltering, our hearts are righteous in Christ Jesus because of the blood applied on our, on our sins. So this is area is called grace. Thanks be to God. Faith unto His grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It is unmerited favor. It's not by how good you are. It is because of God's grace that uh, that uh, bridges the gap between our incompleteness and God's perfection. So between our imperfections and God's perfection, that is called grace. And this here is a strong bend for our natural desires and will. So our will has a constant, can I say, a constant gravity towards selfishness. And that will gravitate us back to ground zero. So there is a strong pull for us to let go of our faith and not believe in the grace of God. Oh, well, we could have this mindset saying, I'm just so far from perfect. You're right. Absolutely you're right. But God said, because you have accepted my son that has given himself as a sin offering. And turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. Verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. And then it says in verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? And let's, let me just clarify here. God, Jesus Christ did not become sin, but it says he became a sin offering for us. That's what that means. He became a sin offering for us and he knew no sin. So he was perfect. That perfect righteous sacrifice. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So that righteousness that I'm talking about up here, we are that righteousness in Christ. Claim that, my friends. Claim it. Make it a, a personal thing for yourself. Because I tell you, my friends, if you are not uh, claiming that grace and needing that grace to fill the, uh, the gap between your imperfections and God's perfection, you will find the Christian life very, very, very difficult. Actually, impossible. There are people that do not want to believe in the grace of God, but they want to believe in their performance to be able to achieve God's standard. And so they're trying to walk this here journey, trying to appease God by their efforts of doing good. Now I'm just going to use a few examples and I'm certainly not opposed to missions. Please understand me. I am all for missions. But there are people in the mission field that are running. 
They are running. They are scurrying. They are scampering. Trying to accomplish the ultimate thing in the Christian realm. To appease and, and, and appease God. And I tell you friends. You can go to all the missions in the world. It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Bless you if you want to go. But go with the right motive. If you are trying to achieve, appease God with your righteousness or your performance, my friends, it will always fall short. It is only in Christ Jesus. And we are tempted, every single one of us, young and old, is try to appease God with performance. Why? Part of the reason is because it's been so drilled into our minds, the only thing that causes you to be good in the natural sense, if you performed well. And that ideology leaks over into the spirituality as well. So if my dad, the only way he's satisfied and calls me his good son is if I perform at a certain certain level, then my Heavenly Father must be the same type of a person. Men, one of the biggest favors that you can do to your children is to call them your dear children when they are mutt from top to bottom. Because I want to tell you, friends, if that if that makes them bad and not acceptable in your eyes, then your children are going to look at our Heavenly Father in much the same sense. Therefore, we have many people that are struggling with the assurance of salvation because they don't need their expectations or have not met the expectations of other authoritative figures in their lives and therefore God must be much the same and so the minute that I err God is there with the big stick just ready to, to discipline fathers that are disciplinaries pastors that are disciplinaries authoritative teachers that are disciplinaries in overabundance, if I can say it that way, they will cause men and women to struggle profusely in their Christian life. Yes, there's room and place for discipline. But I'm talking disciplinaries. A little bit like in the Tater family. Dictators. We have to understand, friends, God is not a dictator. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. And he will tolerate no sin. Get that straight. That's God. In Christ Jesus, he has made him to be a sin offering. Even though he knew no sin, he became a sin offering. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So that is what bridges the gap. It's called grace. By, uh, let me ask you the question. How are we saved? Let me ask you that question. How are we saved? By what? By grace through faith, precisely. We have to understand, friends, it is not through faith by grace. It is by grace through faith. Because there is people that say, faith alone, faith alone. No, it is by grace are we saved through faith. And I want to make it very clear, friends, that grace is a capacity or a power that only God can accomplish. No man, no woman has the capacity to be able to save themselves. 
only by the grace of God. And it is as we accept it by faith that we, that God recognizes that faith in Christ, the one that made, was made a sin offering. If our faith believes in Him, trusts in Him, then, then God will by His power, His strength, will then save us. Did you know that you don't even have the capacity to, uh, to, to even go to God? The Bible says that we don't even have that nature to even go to God. He draws us. In John, and I'm not exactly sure which chapter at this moment, but in John it says that we are, He draws us. He invites us. By nature, we are so gravitate towards uh, unrighteousness. So what did God do for us at salvation? Ephesians says he quickened us. He made us alive with Christ or in Christ. He raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in heavenly places. Where is that? Where is, where is, where are the heavenly places? On what basis did he do it? By grace. Not because we deserved it. How many of us deserve to be saved? How many of us deserve that unmerited favor? None of us deserve it. But God in his mercy extends that to us and he he extends that grace grace means unmerited favor even uh, while we were dead in our sins he came to rescue us he pursued us and he draws us and he saves us upon repentance of our sins our daily conditions, though, we continually and obviously are not perfect. My friends, we must live in our position in Christ, not in our condition. In Christ Jesus, we are made perfect. In Christ Jesus, we are made complete. In Christ Jesus, we can be and are more than conquerors. Our position in Christ, we must claim it, believe it, and trust it. Even though that our condition is still far from perfect, and we must want to and will continue. And again, last evening, I called that sanctification. It is sanctification as we journey along and becoming day by day more like him. But we need his grace. Oh, we need his grace so much. And we need forgiveness time and time again. And so to me, my friends, it is not as, yes, it is important that we repent. Let me make sure that I say this correctly. It is very important that we repent and come to the place that we confess our sins. But equally it is important that we live a penitent life. It's not once saved, always saved. But a continuing in faith, trusting in the grace of God that gap, that, 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 uh, spans the, the, the gap between our imperfections in our endeavors as short as they come from righteousness. And then he says, so that is forgive us our debts. Then he goes on to say, as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. Friends, idealistically, 
we would say, well, once I become a Christian, I'm going to be among Christian people, so therefore, we should all get along. Um, I don't mean to put husbands and wives on a spot on, the, on a spot here tonight, but father, how many fathers are here tonight? Raise up your hand, very high. Okay, and then leave your hand up. How many uh, wives are sitting next to them? Put your hands up as well. All right. Um, all those that all uh, put them up, husband and wife. Put your hands up. Hi. Okay. Even the ones that don't have their wives with you, put your hands up if you're a husband. All right. All right. All of you, keep your hands up. Hi. And children, I want you to look. The only ones that can put their hands down right now is if they always get along. Children, look around. Parents, keep your hands up. Okay, children, look around. They don't always get along. They don't always agree. Okay, just so you know. All right, you can put your hands down. All right. So, is there a need for forgiveness? No, I should have asked those that are dating, but anyhow, no, we'll leave that. (laughs) They don't understand. (laughs) Is it important to forgive one another? Yes, it is. It is essential that we forgive one another. It is very important. Because it says it is so important that, well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So he says in verse 12, this is Jesus saying, Matthew chapter 6 verse 12 it says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he goes on to say, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then he goes on to say, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will I fa- will your father forgive your trespasses. Very, very important. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 18. So remember that verse. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Very key. In verse 21, Peter, the outspoken individual as he was, bless his heart, he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Now, I want to stop right there for a minute and I want to do a more extensive study on this, but the way I would understand it, in my studies what I would have understood is, in... uh in uh, Judaic practices, three times was pointed out or was was expected. And there is, I think it's in Amos, and I believe there was another in Exodus or Leviticus. I'm not exactly sure anymore. There it makes it very clear that three times. So think about what Peter is doing here. He's really, really trying to make an impression on Jesus. He understands the Judaic practices. And he thought three is pretty good. And then he goes to Jesus and he says, uh, how often should I forgive? He didn't just say three times. He says seven times? So he really thought he's going to get this. He almost put his arm out of joint. And then Jesus said unto him, uh-uh, I not, I say not unto thee, unto thee until seven times. But until seventy times seven. That's a load. Uh, let's just look at a minor offense. How many boys here like driving bicycle in rough terrain? In places where you maybe wouldn't normally drive. How many boys like to drive bicycle? Kind of up and down into the ruts and the valleys. How many boys like that? 
Yeah? Any of you like to drive a bicycle in a rough train? Ah, there's one. There we go. Okay, I thought there's got to be one somewhere. All right. So, that young lad, for one full year and four months, every single solitary day, he drives through your garden with the bicycle and over top of your nice row of carrots. Now I know they don't grow those that long. But anyhow, he drives through the, with a bicycle through your garden. One full year every day for a full year and four months. That's how often Jesus is saying that we're asked to forgive. Not only seven times, but he says 70 times seven. So he's asking us to accomplish something that in our own strength and capacity is impossible or next thing to impossible to achieve. And that is precisely what Jesus does in numerous occasions in his teaching. He brings the bar to a point where you and I have to admit I'm not able to accomplish it. And that is precisely where Jesus wants us and where we need to come to so that his grace can be performed and enabled in and through us so that he can do it for us. Because if it would be possible, we wouldn't need him. You understand? So here he's saying... Forgiveness is so important that if we don't accomplish it, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. And then he goes and gives us the verbatim that saying that you're supposed to, or the verdict that you're supposed to do it 490 times. Wow. I, I just, can you imagine Peter's face? Much like yours, I write about now. Huh? Really? That? No. Uh, I can see disbelief in your faces. I understand. But that is precisely what Jesus' motive is here. For therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. And then he goes on and gives that story. And do you understand, my friends? If we would know that we are, that we are able to, to, to perform 100%, we would not need grace and we would not need Jesus. Very sad. So we must understand that in order for us to accomplish the 70 times 7, we need the grace of God to fulfill it. And that is why he can make that standard so high that if you don't, your heavenly father won't forgive you either. Your source to accomplish this is Jesus. And because it is Jesus, His only begotten Son, God's only begotten Son, giving us, or giving Him as a sin offering and extending that grace to all those that by faith believe in it, He will also enable you to accomplish it. We need Jesus every single solitary hour of the day. And that is the point that He's trying to make. And then he goes on and gives that story about the rich, or sorry, the the king. You know, he forgave this individual a large sum. And then this individual went out, and I'll condense it, and then this individual went out, and another person was owing this other person a smaller amount, and he would not forgive him. And then the king comes along and says, servant, you owe me everything. Put you right back to square one. Right back to here. Because of selfishness. Why does Jesus make a standard so high? Because at verse 35 he says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses subject is much bigger than what I can cover here tonight is it easy to forgive 
How many of you find it easy to forgive? Again, nobody is putting up their hand. Is it possible sometimes? Almost not. It's just, it is almost so difficult. But there, I want for us to grasp the reality. That is precisely how it is by nature. But in Christ and Him alone is it possible. And it is when you and I, when we are, and I'm not going to ask for a show of raised hands because I think we all could raise our hand. We have been hurt. We have been wronged. We have been cheated. We have been uh, emotionally injured, if you want to say it that way, and such like we've been not treated fairly. And then we're supposed to forgive. Now I want to say, friends, if it was easy, we wouldn't need Jesus. But I tell you, friends, when you stop, so let's say you're at a stage tonight where you are struggling to forgive. I'm going to ask you this question. How often have you wronged Jesus? I'll let you mull that just for a minute. How often have you cheated and wronged Jesus? So can I use the word hurt? That's the buzzword. How often have you wronged Jesus? I don't mean to give you a number because we all don't know. And I'm just going to, we'll just cut it off here, we'll use it over here. So let's say 10,000 times. Just use a number, I don't know. And Jesus, upon your bidding, what did he do? One confession. He took that 10,000 sins and he went like that and gave you the righteousness of God upon one confession. My friends, that's unfathomable. Is that fair? What do you think? Is that fair? Doesn't seem like it, does it? We struggle with that. Then I want to ask you, the individual that wronged you, how often did he or she wrong you? Think about it. So we might just do a parallel here. Let's say five times. Not only three times, but five times. Okay? Now, how are you able to forgive that individual. How? One way. One way. Let me see here. Do this. And that is through the cross. You take those five sins. And you X them out, you lay them at the feet of Jesus Christ, the one that says, Come unto me, all ye that are laden and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Upon his bidding and his request, you take those five wrongs, and you're not going to ask the individual over here to repay, because there's no way that he can repay, he or she can repay those five wrongs. Impossible. There's only one avenue to, for you to go, and that is to the cross of Jesus Christ. You lay them there, and then you can look at that individual as a free individual. Is that fair? Doesn't seem like it, does it? That person needs to pay. He needs to pay. All right. So we, you are down here, 10,000 sins. You're dealing with five. If Jesus, or if God would say, I'm a perfect God, I'm a righteous God, I'm going to expect you to do what only I can do. Where would that put you? 
doomed. Literally doomed. That is why Jesus is saying, my friends, that, well, let me finish it up. But he gave his son so that we can be forgiven. Perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. Perfect sacrifice. And that is now what he is saying. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. My friends, it is serious. But the provision has been made in Christ. And it is only through Christ. I can't stress that enough. I hope I'm not oversimplifying it because it is that simple. You will not ask your your uh, your the person that has wronged you to pay back. Don't do that. Because if you're going to make that demand on those five sins or five wrongs or sins or whatever they want to call them, if you're going to demand justice, your heavenly Father will demand justice upon you. Do you want that? No, you don't. Neither do I. So extend to the others what Christ and God extended you. There's so many times we don't want to. The adrenaline that Bitterness brings to the heart of an individual. Some people enjoy that adrenaline. What keep, that's what keeps them going. Get up in the morning and I'm going to go out there and prove and I'm going to go out there, you know. I know of individuals like that. That's what they live for. I want to say, friends, lay it at the feet of Jesus and you will find the freedom and the peace that only Christ can give. There's many reasons why we choose not to do that. But I just am going to go over all those and I will conclude by saying, Jesus said, this is what he said, follow his will and way and his direction, his counsel, and you will be free. And you will be blessed. And you will have peace. So, not only seven times, but until 70 times seven. Stop measuring. Stop counting. Forgive. And forgive again. And forgive again. I feel compelled to make this one more statement. Because it is a wrong concept of forgiveness. You have, have you ever heard of the statement, you need to forgive and forget? Have you ever heard that statement? That's nonsense. And in some cases, it's absolutely silly and it's ludicrous. I think it was Howard Bean, and I don't know if I can say it verbatim, but I think he made this statement. He says, forgetting is a demonstration of God's power. And forgetting is the revelation of man's weakness. God, he said, I will forget and I will remove as far as the east is from the west. That's God's prerogative. You and I do not forget. I think I'm safe to say that. But by us, by us following God's order and for extending forgiveness, the raw wounds of that hurt will gradually be healed and won't be as powering over us or so doesn't have that much of an effect on us anymore 
And I can vouch for that, and I could tell you story after story of, their, of things they had there where we must... For, forgiveness is a choice. It is not only possible to forget, but it would be foolish to erase from your mind some of the wrong that has been done. It would be very unwise. Because, my friends, if you were to do so, we would never learn from our experience. If we would just forget. I say the memory is a tool that God gives us so that we remember not to do it again. It keeps us from doing it again. And potentially keep us from walking right back into the similar situation. Yes, it hurts. Thank God it hurts. Praise God that it does. What can eventually be forgotten are the raw emotions associated with the event. Demanding restoration. Do we demand restoration? The truth is, in some cases, it would be unwise to demand restoration and bring it to the point as though it has never happened. And let me give you an example. If a person is a thief, it would be foolish to give him or her the key to your house that he he or her just got done stealing. If there was a pedophile that has done tremendous damage to an innocent would you invite that person to be your babysitter? Be very unwise. That would be foolish. We can forgive people for the, from the wrong they have done without extending to them an open invitation to do it again. In some cases it would be foolish. I tell you friends... There's some things that will never be the same after a sin has been committed. It doesn't matter what you do. I can take a brand new pair of jeans and I can rip them. And I could get one of you ladies to sew that together again the best you could possibly do. But it'll never be the same. I could rip it again and we could sew it again but it will never be the same. So to demand restoration to the point and reconciliation to the point as though nothing has happened is not realistic. So we will always bear some of those wounds, but those wounds can be healed through the balm of Gilead through Jesus Christ. And the only way that that, that those wounds will be healed if we forgive. As long as you forgive, if you do not forgive, my friends, you are frozen in time. Get a hold of that. If you don't forgive, you are frozen in time. You're not going to make any progress. Forgive so that you, along with the other, can go on. Does that still mean just because it'll never be the same that I will never forgive? God forbid, we need to extend forgiveness. Even to our enemies, we're supposed to extend forgiveness. Jesus raised the bar. It's not easy. Forgiveness is difficult enough. But I want to say, friends, if we don't, our Heavenly Father does not forgive us. Did Jesus feel like forgiving us? What did he say on the cruel Roman cross? If this cup could pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So likewise, you and I, when we get to some very difficult times, very, very difficult, damage has been done, harm has been done, injustice has been done, make a choice. Forgive. Forgive. Don't freeze in time because you will never heal. Forgive. In progress. And progress. And progress. And forgive again. Seventy times.
7. Until that day when the Lord Jesus will come and look at his people and you have extended grace and mercy like he did, he will look unto you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But we must emulate him and what he did for you and for me. By the grace of God are we able to do this.